Hey everybody, welcome to MindRise. I am your host, Ian Philo. This podcast is designed to help find solutions to everyday mental blocks. Its goal is to provide you with the tools to rise and break through your own barriers. In the game of life, we can be our own worst enemies. I created this podcast in response to my own battles with my mind. Instead of sinking further down, join me to commit to a more positive perception of ourselves and those around us. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the Mind Rise podcast. I am your host, Ian Philo, and today I have a very special guest with me. It's been a long time coming. Finally, have my wife on, Delaney Philo, and today we're going to be talking about the Enneagram and the different personality types associated with that. And if, for those of you that don't know what the Enneagram is, it is basically. Um, a way to define personality types and there's nine different Enneagram types and there's different wins and connecting points which we'll get into later. Um, she's a lot more knowledgeable on this stuff than I am. I have a basic understanding but one of the reasons I brought her on as, as a guest is because we were talking about this earlier today and specifically talking on the Enneagrams that we have or the personality types that we exhibit on this model. So, Delaney, how does it feel to finally be on the podcast? Well, I can't tell you how many times Ian has tried to get me on this podcast, telling me that I would have to figure out what I wanted to talk about. And just about 10 minutes ago, he walked up behind me like, all right, we're doing a podcast episode tonight. And uh, you don't have to worry about planning anything because I will tell you what to say. <laughs> yep. So anyway, I'm I'm Delaney. I'm an Enneagram type two, which really came in handy growing up with nine siblings. Ian thinks I'm crazy most of the time. But where did you want to start? Yeah, so we can kind of start from there. Um, so as I said, the Enneagram is basically a way for people to find out their personality types, and there are nine of them, and Delaney is a type two, so that means she is typically um, generous has a lot of people-pleasing tendencies sometimes, but she also likes to care for people sometimes more than caring for herself. So I do want to clarify something that you said about the Enneagram type. Something yeah. really, really cool about the Enneagram is it's not just a personality typing oh, okay. model. So if you look at astrology, you look at Myers-Briggs, these tests, they tell you a lot about yourself. The Enneagram was invented a very long time ago. I couldn't tell you when. Primarily with the duty to be used as a empathy tool. So the reason that you want to learn your, your Enneagram type isn't to say, oh, well, look at me. Like, I'm so generous. I'm so compassionate. I'm so empathetic. It's to realize, like, oh, my gosh, like, Ian is a type one. That means he's, he's really purposeful. He's really self-controlled. But he also has perfectionistic tendencies. So how can I minister and be an encouragement to Ian with my empathy that I have? Hmm, That's a really good way of putting it. Um, and again, throughout this episode, you're going to hear um, her knowledge on this particular subject because she has listened to multiple podcasts and um different songs and done research on this with friends and it's just really interesting in general um and before we get further into our particular types because i really wanted to talk upon those today um 
the other types, so we covered one and two. So one is principled, purposeful, self-controlled, and perfectionistic. That's definitely a lot of the things that I demonstrate. Do you want to start with some of the titles of these types? Yeah. Um, so titles defining each type, yes. So one is the reformer. What does that mean? Uh, it's a great question because I don't typically see myself as a reformer. I see myself as an idealist who wants everything to be perfect and in place and have control and order over things. So Idealism is also a very good term for type 1. So the great thing about Enneagram types, guys, before we go any further, is that every Enneagram type, they're all connected. If you look up a picture of an Enneagram, it looks like the weirdest geometric shape you've ever seen in your entire life. At first, I thought it was something very different looking. But... <laughs> it's not the Star of David. Yeah. It's not a pentagram. Yeah. This was created by a theologian who also happened to be a scientist and really interested in the way that people socially intertwine and interact with each other. So the thing that makes Enneagram so interesting is that you learn what your baseline type is, and then you learn your wing. You learn your wing, and then you learn which center you're in. There's the head, the heart, and the body. And then you can learn, oh my goodness, guys, it just keeps on going. Like, there there are social types. Like, there's, there's three different types you can be. Within each Enneagram type, there's probably a whole full nine different variants of Enneagram in each of the nine Enneagram base types. So there's the reformer, which we talked about. That's Ian's personality type. I'm sure you guys have seen that a lot throughout this podcast, the way that he organizes things, uh, two is typically called a helper, which is really, really cool. There are a lot of twos in the world, actually. It's not the most popular Enneagram type. Um, and that's my Enneagram type. So Ian and I, we share a wing, which is why, one of the reasons why we work so well together. Complimentary. Yeah. You want to talk about type three? Yeah. So type three is the achiever. They are typically adaptable, um, excelling, driven, and image conscious. Type 4 is the individualist. My sister is a type 4. They are expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, and temperamental. That sounds really negative, guys, but you wouldn't right. believe how incredibly, incredibly artistic type 4s are. One of the reasons why Ian is so, type, so artistic is because... His integration line, which is something else you can learn about your Enneagram type, the ways that he grows when he is most healthy and thriving are towards a type four. So when he's growing, he's moving towards this expressive, dramatic, self-absorbed, temperamental personality type. But what that really means is that in his moments where he is his best, he's being his most artistic. Hmm. So would you say, so if someone mostly identifies as a particular Enneagram, but at their best moments, they lean towards a different one. What does that mean? So do they, are they more, more heavily weighted? Like if I'm more heavily weighted in a type one and when I'm thriving, I lean more towards a type four, wouldn't that make me more of a type four or is that just what? So your baseline personality in the Enneagram is going to be your, your core basic desire your greatest need, your deepest fear. Like those are the things that mm. make you most of all who you are. And the, the ways that you grow and the ways that you change, those are very mentionable, but that's not always necessarily 
coming out of your fears and your desires and your needs. I mean, if you were looking at the greatest fear of a type one, which is your type, that would be, I don't know, do you remember from earlier? Um, no, I think... I think that the greatest fear of a one is being just not a good person. Oh, yeah. Like having, yeah, like have, getting exposed or being revealed as like... Um, a fraud? A fraud, arrogant, or even evil. Which I don't think way. a type one could ever be, but they've got this... What kind of complex even is that? You talk about this with your cousin. Um, sometimes you get really obsessed with like having this perceived image that you want everyone to view and like the, the sense of that getting uncovered or tainted and having your true self revealed in your most vulnerable mo moments is like earth shattering. But a type one could create this fear that even through all the effort and the work they've put into perfecting themselves, they're actually a fraud deep down underneath. Mm. So during their greatest moments of achievement, like where they're, alter ego. Yeah. Mm. Where they are removing themselves from this fear of having an alter ego. They're not growing into, Oh, I don't have an alter ego. They're growing into this. So this really, really restrictive mindset that a type one has when they're growing at their very, very best, they're going to be, less restrictive and artistic. So that's like almost the opposite of what their personality would normally kind of detonate out into the world. So that's what's really cool about integration lines. You've also got disintegration lines. So you can see a type one. Guys, you should pull up a picture of the Enneagram. Just do it. Uh, great way to listen to this podcast. Just pull up a picture of the I would Enneagram. Roll, I would roll in an ad break to let you guys do this, but I'm not rolling ads or anything. So continue <laughs> yeah it's spelled e-n-n-e-a-g-r-a-m enneagram and uh yeah i mean enough said there's integration lines and disintegration lines you can usually find a picture that has little arrows shows you which directions they go uh anyway i think we were stuck on type four yeah so just to reiterate type four is expressive dramatic self-absorbed and temperamental the individualist delaney said one of her sisters identifies as that really really beautiful really positive person guys please one of the reasons why the enneagram types are listed as numbers is because the creator of the enneagram didn't want us to kind of lineate whether one personality type was better than another hmm. i think it is really really funny though if you're asking me that the type which is known to be most perfectionistic is a type one haha <laughs> And the type which is known to be most peacemaking is a nine, the last one. Also, I will say the helper is a two. Second, second best, like second hand man, right hand man. Yeah, it is pretty interesting. So you can tell that even though these, it's almost flawless. I have never found a flaw in this system. Yeah, so for a lot of you listening and tuning into this podcast, I'm sure many people are familiar with the Myers-Briggs personality test and like your star sign or zodiac signs um delaney and i have honestly found found this to be the most scientifically accurate i guess i don't or more most true depending yeah. on yeah it's also the deepest i would say it's probably the deepest thinking you're ever going to do about not only yourself but others and i want to reiterate that over and over again this really was invented to help you interact with others and be more kind to one another 
it was actually created by somebody who I believe was a priest. So that's very interesting that this mm. personality type that is so well tested over the course of time, it's a it's really old, guys. I don't want to say a number and, and sound like a weirdo, but I'm pretty sure it's like 800 years old. And here it is still being accurate. All right, so back to type five. Um, sometimes people call type five an investigator. And that is because they tend to be very innovative, kind of isolated, maybe more introverted would be a, a more positive word, very perceptive, thoughtful. Type six, the loyalist. Lenny has a few friends that are type sixes. Yeah, I really enjoy those people. <laughs> They're um, engaging, very responsible. They can fall more into anxiety. Their priorities are definitely very achievement-based. And that can be so helpful for society. The greatest thing about this is you can look in, around in society and find for every single Enneagram type a person who's made huge moves. Like, we couldn't do without any of them. It's not replaceable. Type seven can be called the enthusiast. They're very spontaneous, very versatile, acquisitive, and a little maybe scattered even, just because they carry so many plates. So isn't it interesting, Ian, just looking at your personality type one, where you grow towards a four, the keywords for a four don't exactly sound positive, do they? Mm -mm. I mean, a self-absorbed and temperamental, do you really want to grow in that way? But that's where you become your most beautiful. That's where you flourish. And then your stress point where you disintegrate and become more unhealthy, you go towards a seven, which is versatile and spontaneous. Like those are ways that people want to be. And that is where you kind of fall apart. Mm -hmm. And it's so well explained uh, when you actually look at what this disintegration lines mean. Type eight called the challenger. They can be very self-confident, very decisive, great leaders, willful, confrontational, the kind of friend that every anxious person wants to have when they're Needing a little catch-up, you know? <laughs> so maybe type 8 is kind of similar to type A personalities, the people who tend to be dominant and are good salespeople. Yeah. And good at, yeah. Yeah. And then type 9 I mentioned earlier is the peacemaker. You guys, isn't it beautiful that the most, po the most possible Enneagram type, the most predominant Enneagram type in the world known is a peacemaker? Why? You want to be honest? It's because of childhood trauma. Mm. All these broken households. Childhood wounds are a very important part of the Enneagram. But the type 9 is receptive, reassuring, complacent, and resigned. They do tend to... Well, one of my closest friends, very important person, she's a type 9. She tends to put herself last. But she's just learning how to create her own personality. So if you look at... Ian, you just, um, you just looked at the centers mm -hmm. of the Enneagram. Now, isn't it cool that you and I, we share an integration line, right? But we are in different centers. So there are three centers of the Enneagram. It divides up really well because there's nine of them. You want to talk about that? Um, actually, I might hand that over to you because I'm still taking in all of this stuff. Oh, sure. Yeah. So each center of the Enneagram has three personality types that have in common the assets and liabilities of that center. So if you looked at personality type four, they've got really unique strengths and liabilities involving their feelings, which is why the type four is in the feeling center. Now my type type two, we're also in the feeling center. That's kind of where my emotions live, is in my feelings. So the inclusion of each type in its center is really not arbitrary though. This was like so incredibly designed 
I mean, just think about it. Like type seven, six, and five. So we talked about type sixes being very task oriented. They're in the thinking center. Mm. And then you over here, you're in the instinctive center. So like the gut of the Enneagram, basically. Type nine is in there too. So you and type nine, you guys are not totally opposites. But between being perfectionists and peacemakers, I mean, the fact that you guys are right next to each other in the instinctive center is pretty cool. Well, I think sometimes a lot of having to do with being a perfectionist, I think sometimes a lot of us inadvertently want to be peacemakers. Like, we never want to step on anybody's toes. We never want to cause conflict. We just want everything to be cool and smooth sailing. So in a lot of ways, I think type 1s look up to type 9s because um, there are many reasons why, as a perfectionist, maintaining your social identity and reputation is, like, very important because you don't want people to see you as a fraud and that's actually really cool ian that you talked about looking up to a type nine mm -hmm. maybe one of the particular reasons that you in particular look up to a type nine is because you are a one wing nine. Oh, aha so wings are also a pretty cool part of the enneagram it's kind of where you have a baseline personality where your fears and your desires and your needs line up but your personality carries some of the attributes of a different Enneagram type, which is always one right to the right or to the left of the numeric symbol that you fall in line with. So I'm a two wing one, which means that Ian and I share a bit of a wing there. I can understand him pretty well because I carry some of his perfectionistic tendencies. And uh, Ian, you might really look up to a nine because you have that wing in you that recognizes all the goods nine have to bring to the world. This is so crazy how everything connects. Isn't it? Yeah, it really is. Doesn't make any sense. Mm -mm. Why don't we talk about some of the things that each Enneagram type struggles with? Oh gosh, the dominant emotion. <laughs> now guys, when I say dominant emotion... <laughs> We're not about to say some pretty things. Like, we're not talking about joy over here. We're talking about the fact that each center of the Enneagram has a dominant emotion that directs the negative emotions that you feel inside your person. So if you live inside the, um, the thinking center, you might identify pretty deeply with fear. And the reason for that is because if you work so hard your entire life to achieve like a six, do you think you would identify more with, with fear than with shame? Because here you are, you've worked so hard. There's nothing to be ashamed of. But wouldn't you be afraid of losing all that hard work? So in the instinctive center where you're going with your gut, like an eight, nine, and one, the primary emotion that you're going to feel when you're struggling is probably anger, which is hard for people to talk about. Can you imagine being a peacemaker? And yeah, having I was everything just thinking the, rage? the same thing. That's like so paradoxical. Yeah, isn't it? What? Yeah. <laughs> and then in the feeling center, the primary emotion I mentioned earlier, it's shame. Really, really struggling with feeling ashamed of the failures that you perceive in your own life. So you can talk about how everybody 
sort of interprets these primary emotions in their lives. Yeah, I think many of us are aware of our flaws. Well, what about nines? You mentioned you thought it was so weird that nines experience so much anger in well, their Well, yeah, feelings. because it's just it's just so ironic that someone who strives for peace and tranquility struggles with anger and rage. And yeah, and, and typically nines can actually deny their anger and ex- instinctual energies um, because they don't want to accept that they're a person who gets angry. I think this is actually really relatable because I also feel the same way sometimes. I never really viewed myself as an angry person, but sometimes when I do get frustrated, it almost feels like I'm not there, like I'm sort of dissociating, like it's, it's not happening. And nines are the type most out of touch with their anger and instinctual energies, often feeling threatened by them. Nines get angry like everyone else, but it's probably recommended for us to try to stay out of their darker feelings by focusing on idealizations of their relationships and their world. So they try to ignore the deep dark part of their hearts by relocating their thoughts towards what they've tried so hard to create in the world. Yeah. No, and instead and of like processing. Absolutely. And it just shows how how the the 1, the 9 and the 8 the dominant emotion of each center is anger or rage when we're talking about negative feelings. And one's right right next to the nine. One's attempt to control or repress their anger, just like the nines essentially do. They feel like they have to stay in control of themselves, especially of their impulses and angry feelings, and they want to direct these energies according to the dictates of their highly developed inner critic or superego, the source of their st- structures on themselves and others so basically the nines and the ones like just want to ignore that they have struggles and problems with anger or rage altogether those are both really good examples of how paradoxical these emotions can be from your inner motive well why don't we talk about the two Man, do we have to talk about twos? Yeah. You guys, let I me talked just about say, my So unsettling. the number <laughs> the number one reason that I align with the Enneagram is probably because I recognized early on how great of a tool this Enneagram was to help me be empathetic to one another. Like holy crap, can you imagine how amazed I was when I learned that was the entire intention of the Enneagram was to use it to learn about others? I don't even think I knew my own Enneagram type. I don't know, maybe until like weeks after I discovered what the Enneagram was because I was so interested in knowing what other people's types were. But let me just say, my whole entire childhood, I think I struggled with the emotion of shame more than most people I ever knew. So you can imagine my absolute surprise when I realized that the typical negative emotion in an Enneagram 2 is shame. I think it just stems a lot from wanting other people to like you. Mm, I mean, can you imagine? Yeah. Like, there's a lot of, if you guys haven't noticed already, there's a lot of, like Delaney said, ways that these different Enneagrams intertwine with each other. Um, There's no pure personality type. Everyone is a unique mixture of these basic 
um, Enneagram types according to where their center is and where their wing is. So a really unhealthy type too. This is something that I've grown so much in and you guys go to therapy like everybody needs a therapist I'm, I'm not even lying this generation's crazy but I think I identified a lot with some feelings of major codependency something that I experienced a lot in my life is is this recognition that if people don't appreciate me if people don't notice the effort that I'm putting into caring for them I develop this deep-seated sense of shame that I'm not actually worth anything hmm. Can you imagine, like, I mean, I'm speaking from my own personal experience, but having everything that you want, like, taken away from you, and that is where that deep-seated emotion comes from, is by having your efforts kind of amount to nothing. That's where that rage, that shame, that fear comes out in you. Let's talk about wings. I could talk about wings, sure. Time to grow up here. Where's my Red Bull? Just cheat, yeah. I was going to say that. They're not not sponsoring us, unfortunately. (laughs) So as I was saying earlier, um, known as a pure personality type, the whole point of this Enneagram is not to just slap a label on what personality type you are and just be done with it. The whole point of this is really getting people to understand how to empathize with other people and how to be the best versions of themselves and learn people's flaws and people's weaknesses and how they can better connect to that individual. Um, Your basic type dominates your overall personality while the wing complements it and adds important, sometimes contradictory elements to your total personality. Your wing is essentially the second side of your personality and it must be taken into consideration to better understand yourself or someone else. For example, if your personality type 9 you will likely have either a one wing or an eight wing, and your personality type as a whole can be best understood by considering the traits of the nine as they uniquely blend with the traits of either the one or the eight. So basically what they're saying, what you're saying is that... So if you guys, yeah, so if you guys are, are, have pulled up a diagram visually, this would make a lot more sense. I know if you're probably listening to this and you're just like, how do these numbers connect? Like, They're saying all these random numbers, but visually, if you look up this image of the Enneagram type, you'll see how these things connect in regards to the wind. I mean, if you imagine the numbers one through nine, like written around in a circle, that's just about it. There's some lines that connect things in between, and that's Mm -hmm. when we talk about disintegration and integration. But what they're saying here is that you exhibit traits of both of the numbers that are alongside you, but usually you identify more with one than the other. Oh, did you lose it? Okay, I, I guess thought I you gotta... had something to add there. No, that's okay. I guess I'll pick it back up. I gotta start the momentum again. Yeah, so wings are really interesting because they essentially help us relate to other Enneagram types in regards to connection and things that we can really form solidarity on. I think one of the most interesting things about this is that there's so many different variations of how people can connect and understand each other. So I'd be really curious to know what your guys' Enneagram types are while you're listening to this. If you have heard something that sounds familiar or relatable, um, that's good. 
and I encourage you guys to look into this because it has definitely helped Delaney and I, not only in our relationship um, and marriage and understanding each other a little better, but it's just cool to look into this type of psychology and understand the human psyche in a way that is not only visually interesting, but makes a lot of sense. Yeah, there's an entire group of people who've put so much research into this system, and there's a website running that you can look up yourself at the Enneagram Institute, and even if you just Google that, it'll be so easy to find. The greatest thing about this website is that if you happen to have a very close friend, somebody who's important to you, a mentor, a partner, a spouse, who you want to learn more about, you can look up their personality types and you can even look into things like childhood wounds and realize where these deep-seated fears may have come from in their life. Not only that, but they have an entire page on the website where you can find information specifically about, for instance, the way that Ian's personality type might interact with my personality type and how we can be more kind to one another. And I think that is something that makes this personality typing model so unique from astrology and the Myers-Briggs type. But guys, can I just say for a moment, like this is just gonna be a plug, all right? Do you know how crazy it is to talk about the fact that this Enneagram is nearly flawless? That people born around the same time of year and the same time of day exhibit similar personality traits to one another? And that people who have similar desires tend to have similar fears? Like, I'm really sorry if I'm offending anybody right now, but how could you not believe and an ultimate force that may have created all of these things in an order. Yeah, no, that's definitely well said. And um, it's, it's great. I think it's great. I'm really glad that we talked about this. I'd really like to dive into this topic more and do a part two um, because there's just so much to unravel here. Um, I There's just so much more for me to learn about this stuff. Some people write whole books on the Enneagram. There's artists that have recorded songs on Enneagram type. Sleeping at Last is one of Delaney's favorite artists of all time. And if you haven't looked up Sleeping at Last, you should on Spotify. He has a whole podcast. Yeah, on the Enneagrams and also his music is incredible. So yeah, I, I think this is something that is relevant to today absolutely and it, it will be it's it's timeless it will be relevant forever so if you haven't heard about the enneagram i hope this podcast helped you a little bit hope it piqued your interest on wanting to maybe look into this topic a little more and thank you for joining me thank you delaney for being on the podcast absolutely catch and, me back here with leo as our co-host yeah my cat is on the cat tree just chilling right now I don't know what Enneagram type he is. I don't... Delaney's better at guessing that stuff than I am. Whichever but. one's most of an attention. <laughs> well, yeah. Thanks again, guys, for taking the time out of your day to listen. And I'll catch you on the next episode.